Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, Courtney DeWalter returns to the podcast to talk about Bandera, the moment she went all in on ultra running, whether she's interested in returning to Barkley, and for hometown listeners here in Salt Lake City, whether she will race the Wasatch 100 one day. Before we get started, though, this episode is brought to you by Rabbit. Use code SINGLETRACK30 at checkout for 30% off your next order before January 17th. And after that date, use code SINGLETRACK20 for 20% off orders the remainder of the year. This episode is also brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition, my nutrition of choice training for ultras. Use code SINGLETRACK20 on their website for 20% off your next order there. Thank you so much for supporting the show with your discounted purchases at both Rabbit and Gnarly. And with that, let's get started. Courtney DeWalter, welcome back to the Single Track Podcast. We're back. <laughs> it was so fun to watch your race unfold on Saturday. And we were talking about this offline and I had to retell the story live. As we were watching the race unfold, I... I made a pretty bad prediction in our race preview episode with Brett and Leah. I said that you were going to finish in second place. And on Saturday, to their credit, the audience in the live stream chat reminded me of this bad prediction. It actually became quite a running joke for the remainder of the broadcast because it just became readily apparent about four or five hours in, you were en route to not just a win, but a special historic day. And, uh, yeah, I took a lot of bullets for the last four hours of that podcast, but or live stream, but it was so funny and it was a great day. And anyways, great to have you here. And uh, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Well, I'm sorry you took some bullets there, but I appreciate that you picked me at all. So thank you. <laughs> First sub nine hour women's victory at Bandera. You broke the course record, I believe, by roughly eight minutes. You took down a pretty stout Stephanie Howe course record. I'm curious, does this racing experience ever get easier for you or at least routine? Like, does it get easier to experience that quote unquote pain cave that you've patented? Oh, man. Um, well, one cool thing is that Stephanie Howe and I have known each other since we were like 12 or 13, maybe. Wow. We both grew up in Minnesota and our teams raced against each other. We did all the same sports. So, we were lining up uh, with each other quite often throughout uh, middle school and high school, which is, yeah, I don't know. It's just so fun then and feels like such a small world where then, you know, in ultra running in our 30s, we're back, um, you know, running together and getting to share the same sport again. That's so cool. And actually, that reminds me, we had Garrett Heath on the podcast about six or seven months ago. Did you go to high school with him and compete with him as well? Uh, we didn't go to high school together, but he was, you know, just on the road. So our schools competed also all the time. And um, wow. yeah, such a small world. I actually, he, I was just sitting outside a um, cafe in Chamonix this summer and drinking a beer with my husband and he <laughs> walks by and I was like, Garrett, <laughs> the craziest thing to happen because um, I don't know. It was just like the timing and, you know, the place right. of it all. And so another small world experience there. But yeah, uh, growing up in Minnesota was really cool. And now to, you know, share it with all these people still is special. Um, I think I 
like you said, is it easier to access the pain cave or to race? Um, and I think like in the past couple of years, I race less frequently. And so it just feels really special, like a special opportunity every time you pin on a bib to like get the most out of yourself for that day. So mm -hmm. it's not easy, but it's like, um, I guess my attitude about the pain cave is that you can't summon it, you know, at will, you don't get to snap your fingers and suddenly arrive at it. You have to be mm -hmm. working to get there. And so whenever I get that opportunity to put in the work and get to the cave, actually, I, I want to embrace it and, and go all in on that. When you crossed the finish line on the live stream, Leah had the microphone. I think I heard you say, quote, that was such a hard course. What were the challenges you faced in this one? Ooh, I got worked. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone going into it was like, it, it's a second lap race. Like, don't mess up on the first lap. Have some legs for the second lap. And if you can minimize, you know, the time difference, then it's a good day. So I knew it um, in my brain, but uh, yeah, that second lap just like kind of ate me up. It it felt so hot and I was just like not prepared for that feeling yet being, you know, in January in Colorado um, and my legs were just like getting toasted. So it was definitely a visit to the pain cave and it was definitely like a um, using my brain as hard as I could to power my legs to keep moving, even when they felt like we were just slogging through molasses. Mm. Zooming out just a little bit from Bandera, and I want to come back to it in a second. My, my colleague Brett and I were talking on the live stream, and he noted, I think in both the preview episode and during the broadcast, that you're seemingly only getting better as a runner from a results standpoint. You're winning the biggest races. You're setting course records. I'm curious, does it feel that way in training too? Like, do you experience like more flow these days, better execution, better recovery? Like, do you notice in the day that things are getting better? Talk about that if you don't mind. I think, um, I think my... Like each year and each season, for sure, I'm um, understanding more solidly what the core of my training looks like and what I like to do no matter what race I'm training for or what I'm doing. Like the core of it stays the same. Mm. And then maybe, you know, I'll get a little specific on some branches out of that core. But um, I think I'm like understanding more what I like that core to look like. So feeling like there's a good base there, but I also really view it as like a puzzle and um, tinkering with those pieces and figuring it out and trial and error and failing. You know, I think that's all a really fun part of it. So um, with the core set, I like to like play around then with, you know, oh, I heard about this thing or, you know, I want to try this sort of run or whatever and like inserting new things all the time just to see what that's like. Right on. One of the things that we talked about last conversation uh, is just how intuitive you are when it comes to racing. And I wish I had followed up with this question when we last spoke, but I want to ask it here. Where does your ability to not overcomplicate 
things come from? Is it is it a personality based thing, or is this something you've worked towards over the years? Probably a combo, I guess. Um, I think, like in general, I view running as like not that complicated. So just keeping it simple and not stressing about every little thing or even any big thing. Like it, you just can do what you can do, and that's it. Yeah. Um, but also. I grew up in Minnesota with really fantastic coaches. And so I think they, by just coaching me through all my years of um, athletics there, like built into me what training looks like. And so to me, it's just like, that's, that's how it is. You know, I have this like really good base to go off of because I had these fantastic people leading the way for me for so many years. Mm. Is that something that you enjoy? Like I know in other sports, it's common to have like a Rolodex of, you know, your recovery people, your coaches, your nutritionists. In your situation, do you like with Kevin, for example, do you like surrounding yourself with other people that can think critically about, you know, this part of your upcoming race or like that part of it? Kevin's a huge part of the team. So for sure, having him and his type of brain is really useful. And um, he's way more logical and like spreadsheet oriented than me. And so the things he'll think of beforehand or when we reflect after will be, you know, different than where my brain goes. But I think that combination can be useful. And, and I think uh, mostly then just surrounding ourselves with, um, people who like to have fun with it and mm. like aren't too serious, but are happy to like spitball and, um, you know, lob ideas out if they, if they think of something else. So yeah, it's collaborative for sure. It reminds me, if you think about all like the latest recovery tools and recovery protocols and the science, and I'm thinking a lot in terms of like the NBA and the NHL and the NFL, and even like with the Breaking Two project with like Kipchoge and those guys, when you think about your partnership with Solomon, are they interested in providing you with similar experiences just beyond like, here's gear and, you know, here is... uh you know, funding for travel to like UTMB and stuff like that. Like, is there someone in the, in the organization who you get to stay in touch with around like how to train or how to think about nutrition or anything else on the cutting edge of performance? Solomon has been such a fantastic partnership for me. They're amazing people and their gear is um, incredible and like giving feedback and getting to do workshops with them on that gear has been, um, yeah, just really cool to see all of the thought going into that stuff. I would say they stay out of like training or nutrition unless asked, asked to help with it. Okay. So they're not like trying to give advice on that or um, insert themselves in that in any way. We do have um, – like if it's a race where a large portion of the team is going to it, yeah. they'll bring a physio. So someone to do some body work that week of the race and um, make sure, you know, we're as like straight as possible. <laughs> <laughs> the joints are connected like they should yes. be. <laughs> um, 
And that's, you know, really useful. And then I would say the other piece that I, I, none of it is like the nutrition or coaching, but um, just gathering as a team for a training camp in the spring is, um, it happens every year with the Solomon team. And that's like, you know, huge and just training together, um, getting to like give and get feedback from each other. Uh, but nothing as far as coaching or nutrition necessarily. I know I said we'd come back to Bandera, but I'm going down this rabbit hole and I'm totally fascinated. Jump in. Uh, this is a little <laughs> bit more about like how your career has progressed over time. I was looking back at your ultra sign up and you started dabbling according to that platform in ultras back in 2011. You had success like immediately off the bat, but it seems like your breakthrough moments, like your national class and world-class results started to happen in 2016. That was five years after you got into the sport. And it seems like it all started to happen in your early thirties. What do you attribute that leveling up to? I love the word dabbling. So thanks for using that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I, uh, I mean that accumulating five years of um, just stacking tiny Legos on top of each other in understanding more about the sport, gaining some endurance, all of those pieces are hugely valuable. I think something like running in general, but ultra running specifically takes time. Um, I think I, I definitely started to put in more time right mm. around then where I just wanted to see like if I, you know, do a little bit more or dedicate more of my weekend or um, get on the trails more frequently, what could happen. And so that probably factored into it as well. Where did that curiosity come from? Was there like anybody that you were particularly inspired by at the time or, um, yeah, what, what was the spark? Probably, um, yeah, maybe just in general, like wanting to try to like see if my feet and body could get me to finish lines a little bit more quickly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, I think it was 2015 run rabbit run where I spent hours in aid stations, just like it was a survival mission and I was, um, in, you know, really bad sorts and just wanted to finish. And I think after that, I probably felt a little bit like maybe I can control some of this, you know, maybe if I yeah. do my part more, I could um, not sit in an aid station for hours, you know, <laughs> sipping tiny sips of soup <laughs> <laughs> like every 30 minutes. <laughs> I don't know. I would love to time travel back and like actually see, you know, what the gears were doing in my head to um, make me start putting more time into it. Well, like if you think back to like when you were competing against Stephanie in high school and, you know, in college, what you did, and then even in your 20s, just from an endurance athletic standpoint, were there any moments in those years where you could point to and say like, there, like I totally got the best out of myself there. I've like self-actualized as an athlete or was there a sense that like 
I haven't quite tapped into what is possible yet. I hope to always feel like uh, I haven't quite tapped into what's possible yet. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, for sure. There were years of um, like cross country skiing, for example, where yeah. my only goal was to stay upright and to crash fewer than 10 times in a five kilometer race was like my big accomplishment on cross country skis. And then um, w- decided after a few years of doing that and just like snow plowing and face planting all <sighs> over Minnesota, like I would like to try to not do that. So, you know, what are the steps? And it was more training, more time experiencing, you know, this motion and this feeling and then like putting all the pieces together. So um, that would probably be like a similar journey. It seems right now, and I, and I promise this next question is connected. It seems right now there are two camps of pro runners. On one side, you have folks like I'll use Jeff Colt as an example, who like to balance their running with another job. And then there are folks like Abby Hall, yourself, who do this full time. If you reflect back to the moment when, you know, maybe this is 2016 or 2017, when you had the choice to either keep your previous profession as a teacher, I think it was, or to be a full-time athlete, what would you say was the driving force to go all in on this instead of, you know, hedging and keeping another career? I think it was a lot of conversations with Kevin um, where we, I, I don't know, I guess like maybe started to understand that we were the drivers of our lives and that like it, you don't have to stay on the main road that you're currently on the whole mm. time and you get to take these side roads if you want to, and just explore, you know, what's over there, what would it be like if we turned off this exit? And, um, and so through those conversations, it was like, man, when we're 90, we don't want to wonder what if about this running thing. So let's just try this. I didn't have, like, I, I was, um, just newly added as an ambassador for Solomon at that time. So it wasn't like, um, choosing a career in running. It was just choosing the side road to see where that took us. Um, and knowing like, if you don't like the side road, you can always turn back, you know, there's always ways to get back to a main road again. And, uh, yeah, we just decided to go for it, but we didn't know what was down this side road. We didn't know if we'd like it. We didn't know if it was sustainable um, but we figured, why not now and why not try? Do you think that your career would have been substantially different these past four to five years if you hadn't taken this full-time path? Like from like a result standpoint? It, it feels like yes, but it's impossible to say. But I would say like I, with the flexibility of my days now, I am able to, I think, do much better training and um, to do all the little things as well. So there's mm. time to, you know, do the strength work or um, 
do some recovery or do some cross training, like all of those pieces now can find a space in the day. And, um, that, that combined with like loving it so much and like, um, really enjoying the lifestyle is I think valuable. I think it's super inspiring by the way. I didn't realize that you had taken such a leap of faith to go at this full time. I had always assumed that, you know, there was this like, not Tom Brady style contract, but like a fair bit of job security before all the results came. Nope. (laughs) I mean, Kevin, (laughs) Kevin had a job. So we knew we could keep the lights on and we could, you know, buy a box of cinnamon toast crunch and like (laughs) the rest we were like, yeah, we were like, we'll just figure it out. And um, see what happens. Have you had any good mentors along the way or at least people that you regularly go to for guidance in this journey? Not, I don't think anyone specific. Um, I think we're always trying to soak up everything, any wisdom and like any, you know, life nuggets along our paths that we can, but no one specific. I will say partnering um, with Solomon was really great because I, I mean, I used to race like a lot. I would sign up for every ultra, any ultra, like fill my weekends up. I want to be pinning on a bib as often Mm. as possible. And they were great influence on like, you're not made of titanium. You can't sustain that. And like, don't you want this to be a lifelong, like the focus on health and like um, keeping our bodies happy was forefront of their mind, not the number of races. And so I think that was like a really uh, important message for me to hear because in my early days, it was like, I mean, over 12 ultras a year at least. In Actually, I'm curious about that. In those scenarios, in the moment when you were having those race schedules and you were executing, did it feel sustainable in the moment? And I asked that with like the idea that like it was just going to creep up on you at some point and it was before it was too late, you'd be out of the sport or um, did you already feel like a, an increasing fatigue? It, it felt just fun. And like, um, I didn't want to think about, you know, if it was good or bad or anywhere in between. I just wanted to uh, sign up for things because I loved going to races. I loved hanging with the community and I loved pushing as hard as I could. Um, But for sure, over the years of doing that, it was starting to be where like, by the end of the season, I was just like, woof, I need a minute. And, yeah. and uh, that feeling um, made it where it was like, when I heard the messaging of like, you know, this isn't sustainable, I was like, mm. oh, you're right. Like, I'm, I feel that and I understand that. And mm. like, I am happy to, you know, pull the reins in a little bit and race less. Well, I know you mentioned in our pre-race interview that you took, I think, a full month off in November and that this whole training block for Bandera was pretty abbreviated. Is that month off a relatively new part of your season-long program? For sure. Probably in the past couple of years, um, (laughs) just understanding 
that uh, our bodies need it, but also that our brains really need it and to, um, you know, fully reset, fully recharge makes it so heading into a new season, I feel like just as fired up as ever to do it again. Um, And I think it's fortunate, like there's ultras all over the world, so you can race all year long if you want to, but I feel lucky to be in Colorado where, you know, November, December are starting to get snowy. It's the holidays, like all of these pieces adding in where it's like a reminder to just take a breather and, and do some other stuff for a, a bit. Also in our last conversation, we talked a bit about your plans for a Western States hard rock 100 double later this summer. And I was kicking myself because after the fact, I realized I forgot to ask, what about UTMB? Could UTMB be on the table next year? So what are your, do you have any thoughts about that? (laughs) I mean, everything, everything's on the table. I think, um, I don't know this specific Western States hard rock combination has me feeling really excited. It's something new that I've never done. They're um, sillily close and uh, very, very different in the types of races they are. So that's what I would like to focus on this year and just put my energy towards that double and see, see what happens with it. For sure, though, yeah. I mean, any combination or um, it's been really fun over the years to uh, switch up my schedule a little bit and to find uh, different ways to challenge myself. And so I'm not ruling out a triple ever, but wow. <laughs> it's not on this year's list. <laughs> Are you somebody that likes to plan out your entire year in advance? Like if I asked you what you're considering for September, October, November, December of next year. Do you have any sense of what that might be? Of this upcoming year? Yeah, 2023. Um, yeah, you can ask it for sure. <laughs> 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 um, I am like a half planner and a half like fly by the seat of my pantser. And... Um, our first step was for sure just trying to get this double on the calendar. I'm curious how recovery after Hard Rock will go in July and like how much time off I'll take or how my body and brain will bounce back from uh, those weeks of racing. Yeah. So we're kind of like leaving a little bit of play in the year and um, then we'll see. You know, I've got some like projects, just some trails to, that I would like to do at some point. So that could be an option. Um, there's some fun, you know, late fall races out there that I'd love to try. So we'll see what happens. Two more questions for you. And I know that we didn't talk much about Bandera. I apologize, but, uh, went down the rabbit hole. I've always wanted to ask you about Barkley. Um, I have always thought you're a prime candidate to not just get a fun run there, but to do all five loops is that a mission at to any extent for the remainder of your career to go back there and, and try to do that? I am absolutely still intrigued by Barkley and would love um, to give it 
some more goes and to see if I can get some more loops. I have done it now. I've started it two times and both times been foiled by navigation. Um, so I think like I need to put in more time to learn to navigate better. And um, yeah, it's such a cool challenge. I'm really excited. Uh, like last year, Jasmine Paris finishing a fun run yeah. was huge. So I'm excited to see what she can do on a course like that. It's just, it's insane out there in those woods. <laughs> if you imagine, whatever you're imagining is is probably like um, a few levels below the amount of crazy that's actually out there. <laughs> I got to ask this last question for the hometown crowd here in Salt Lake City. Do you think that at some point in the next five years, we will see you on the start line for the Wasatch 100? Would love to check out Wasatch 100. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Courtney, always a pleasure to chat. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, I think I speak for a lot of folks when I say we are absolutely stoked to follow your season and to see if a really excellent case study can be made out of this Western States Hard Rock Double. A case study of excellence, I should add. So <laughs> I'm not betting against you ever again. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening. Before we sign off, if you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting us with a rating and a review in your podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsor discount codes in the show notes. We really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.